I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. Yo, what's popping, everybody? Happy Wednesday. Is it a happy Wednesday? Maybe. Maybe not. I mean, it depends which way you want to look at things. So we're going to look at both angles, the good, the bad, and then we're going to look at the ugly. In fact, we might even start with the ugly. But before we do that, I'm joined, as usual, by my homie, my compadre, my co-host in crime, Mr. Will Weir. You see, this is where I need one of them sandballs so we can get the fans. Yeah! <laughs> What's going on, Will, man? How you doing, brother? What's popping, Adam? I'm uh, I'm I'm making the best out of it, you know. Not a not a great start to the Eastern Conference Finals, but you know, once we once we unpack all the circumstances, you know, it's it's actually more reasonable than it feels. So we're we're gonna get into it here. I'm telling you what, I'm gonna start with the ugly because it was what we was discussing before we came on air, and then we can get through to the bad, and then we'll get through to the good because I'd rather unpack the the bad stuff now and end on a high note. Mm-hmm. then unpack the good stuff now and end on a downer. Do you yeah, know what I mean? I'm with you. Let's and, do that. You know? So like, we'll start with the ugly. And the ugly was, for me personally, this was a boring game. Now, it's very rare you'll ever hear me call a basketball game boring. Usually I'm locked in, whether it's because I'm interested in the sets that they're running, whether it's the matchups. Maybe there's some, like, you know, maybe I'm really interested in, like, Jimmy going at Tate. And whatever it may be, there's something there that captures my eye and keeps me focused and locked in yeah i had to i told i told you before we came on air did i took five breaks man i paused the game five different times on my first watch round this morning because i was just like the energy felt flat like when boston were doing one in the first half of the game i felt like miami weren't really at the races then when then the third quarter collapsed i'm just like there's no energy from the crowd like i, I think like i think Giannis ruined it for me because i was like, <laughs> like there was no egregious physicality like people weren't getting just smashed to pieces and i get it's only game one but for a conference finals there was just a little bit of a lack of a spark for me personally no i think that's fair and i and i think also the the game did certainly lack a, a little bit of flow and i think you know in the first half it, it had a, a little bit more of that but then when you got to the second half it certainly seemed like there was a bunch of a bunch of whistles in that second half right so the game any flow that that you could have had coming out of the second half was certainly lost but it, it definitely had a, a different feeling and as you and i talked about off air before we we got on here I think a little bit of it, at least from a Celtic fan perspective, has to be coming from, you know, the highs of of game seven and really game six and seven, because you had two games that were do or die. You could feel the crowds coming through the television every single moment, even in game seven, when, you know, the Celtics ended up winning that game by 20 plus. But you still felt like, especially up until about halfway through that third quarter, every single possession could be the difference between what happens in this series. So my point being, that's an extremely high level of intensity to be able to go from. And then in a very quick turnaround, have to go to a very different environment in Miami against a very different team. You know, immediately, one of the first things I noticed when watching the game last night is that, to your point, you know, Miami, and specifically Jimmy Butler, did get physical, I, I felt, in the second half. But it, it did feel vastly different from from the from the way that we had to approach that my uh, that Milwaukee series. You know, when when guys were driving in the lane, it was it was almost 
shocking to not see giants like Giannis and Brooke Lopez standing in the way. And until Dwayne Dedman came in, you didn't almost feel like, okay, this is what it's like again to have some, some really massive human being that's, that's, that's just, that's just hanging around the rim. Right. And, you know, Bam has his athleticism, which he certainly used to, you know, to to block some shots last night, but it's just a very different feel. So I I think this is as much as this was a transition game for the players, it's a transition game for those of us watching as well. I think the other thing to put in there as well, and you've kind of touched on this a little bit. Um, this is what you kind of touched on a little bit. The number one thing for me was one team came in incredibly rested, you know? So there's a huge lack of flow there. Mm-hmm. One team came into it absolutely like exhausted. So there's a huge lack of flow there. There was a lack of continuity. Like, so I can, and like you said, there was a bit, like, the physicality wasn't really there. The size wasn't really there. Like the matchups to me are going to be far more, skill based and physical based outside of Jimmy Butler and Bam. Right? Like yeah. you, you know, you're not you, you're not worried about hmm, Tyler Harrow coming off the bench and bullying his way to the rim the same way you was worried about Bobby Portis bullying his way to the rim. Different positions, different yeah. players, but you get like you get the analogy, right? And I think that I just love that physical brand of basketball. I don't know what it is. Uh the, obviously the other part of it was you know, I came into this game with low expectations. So, you know, no Marcus Smart, no Al Horford. Uh, yeah, Kyle Lowry's not there, but Kyle um, Lowry hasn't really been with them consistently yeah. throughout the whole postseason. So I'm and not th- really counting and, that. And I kind of think with that, you know, looking at the players that were out, because that certainly kind of sets your expectations a little bit of, of, of what you think may happen going into the game. You can look at Marcus Smart and Kyle Lowry, and you can almost look at that as a wash. You're both missing your, your starting point guard, and you feel like it's still kind of an even playing field. When you lose Al and you factor in the short turnaround, you know, and, and that's one thing I pointed out. I think this all, and this would have been true of Milwaukee too. The winner of that last series was getting boned in the schedule from, you know what I mean? From going from the, the, they had the long layoff between games two and three, and then it was every other day, games three through seven. And then they went immediately, you know, one day of rest, jumping into this series. And you look at the Mavs on the other side in the Western Conference, they have two days off between game six and seven. They get the late game on Sunday when they put both game sevens on a Sunday. And then they get two more days off before they start their Western Conference finals against the Warriors. So for the Celtics, it's every other day for three straight weeks and you got a tight rotation as is. So when you come into a game and you're down your starting point guard, you're down your starting center power for whatever you want to label, you know, Al Horford as like, that's going to be a tough blow when you put all of those factors together. And so that's, you know, that kind of already sets your expectations before you even tip off yeah for sure because you're like man this this miami team's no joke they're well drilled they're a deep team i think that's where your biggest concern is right like miami and we said this the other day they're they're 10 deep 9 10 deep so when you're talking about oh well we've lost two guys and now our rotation is seven deep plus in this instant niece in this instance knee smith like you are going to be concerned especially when two of the guys missing are Al Horford that dominated two games against Milwaukee for you. Defensive player of the year, Marcus Smart, that was probably going to be the guy tasked with picking up Jimmy. If we're being, you know, if you want someone to match Jimmy's physicality, it's going to be Marcus. That's the point of having someone like Marcus, the bulldog. Mm -hmm. So the expectations are going to be a bit lower. And I am concerned, you know, with the Horford news being, 
health and safety protocols because that means we don't know how long he's going to be out yeah. for. It's ambiguous. Yeah, it could be game one game, mostly, you know, two. Or it could be as long as, you know, if it's the 14-day period, 10 to 14 days. Well, well, I think they've changed that that rule. I think it's just two days that you have to test um, negative back-to-back at this point. And I and I don't, I don't want to rehash this conversation. I think it matters if you're vaxxed or not vaxxed. But, you know, so we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But, but I know... That's concern, right? We don't know if he's tested positive because if he has... Yeah, and he I mean, that's... And he doesn't test out then mm-hmm. you are, you know, you're potentially without him for the series or at least yeah. for a large segment of that series. Yeah, although it did make it seem, he may did make it seem as though there's an outside chance he could be back for game two because he is asymptomatic from, from the reports that we've seen. But I, I, I'll be fully honest, at this point, I feel like the health and safety protocols have changed so many times that I'm not 100% positive anymore as to exactly what, so, those, what those rules are. There's no daily testing. All right, mm-hmm. which means there's two ways you would have tested positive. One, you started feeling like poop. You know, you're like, oh, I don't feel good. Oh, I better do a COVID test. Mm-hmm. Or two, somebody calls you that you've been in contact with. Hey, I've been, I've tested positive for COVID. You've been in contact with me. You need to test. Mm-hmm. Right. Either way, there's been contact with COVID and you've had a positive test mm-hmm. because you're not testing without, you're not testing for no reason anymore. Yeah. So that means that tells me that whether you're asymptomatic or not, there was some that if you're asymptomatic, then you've been in contact with somebody with it, which means we now need to wait for you to test out. And if you know, or if you're not asymptomatic and you're showing symptoms, well, now we're going to be without you for at least the first three games. I mean, I think the greater point is we just don't know. We don't have a definitive timeline on on Al's return. So that's concerning. Yeah. And and I think, you know, we, we look at this as a rematch of the bubble, even though these are, you know, I, I think two very different teams at this point, you know, or at least the cast of characters, the the significant cast of characters have, have certainly changed in some ways. And Al Horford's one of the biggest things that you can look at as, you know, aside from obviously the coaches and, and you know, some other things, but Al Horford is one of the main guys that you look at as what's going to be different about this. Well, we didn't have Al Horford and Al's going to be matching up with, you know, with bam or you know if jimmy's on the perimeter jimmy's a little quick for him but you know we talk about getting physical al's not afraid to get physical so if as long as al can you know find a way to stay in front that changes that matchup you already talked about you know not having marcus smart so i I think as we're still hitting on this you know the ugly segment going into the game shorthanded without two of your five starters that's kind of where it all starts but then the celtics get off to a great start in the first half right and you're feeling like hey you know, we might be able to sustain this. We're going to get to the good, but something I'll hint at real quick. Rob looked like he was himself. I think yeah. that was something that's very important. And then we got to fast forward here because we're going to go to the ugly and we're going to talk about the real, real, real ugly. And that's the third quarter. And, you know, the Celtics lose that quarter 39 to 14. They make two field goals the entire time. They go 0 of 7. From the three-point line, they have eight turnovers, six of which come from Jason Tatum. The other two from Jalen Brown. So all eight turnovers come from from your two stars. I think, you know, when we think about ugly from last night, there's no other place than that third quarter. I had some numbers for this. So let me tell you, in the third quarter, off turnovers, points off turnovers, percentage of points, 30% of all of Miami's points came off turnovers in that quarter. Just shy of a third. That is ridiculous. As far, in an Eastern Conference Finals game, giving up 30% of your points because you 
lost control of the ball so frequently is really frustrating. 35% of their points came at the line while they had to foul because they kept giving up the ball. Um, <laughs> I mean, it is what it is there, right? I mean, you don't, that doesn't take uh, yeah, 17, a 17 free throws in that quarter for the Heat. Yep. So like, and then obviously the rest of it, fast break points, they really limited them. There was only 10, 10%. Now it was like, what was it? A 39 point quarter. So four points. I'm not, I'm not tripping over that. But for me, the biggest issue was this is where you kind of missed smart the most in this instance where everything's falling apart in the middle, like in, sorry, everything's falling apart after halftime. The ball's in Tatum's hands. Everyone's focusing on Tatum, and there's no secondary ball handler making himself available, willing to take on that challenge. Now, Derek White, as far as I'm concerned, wasn't fantastic, but he wasn't awful either. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But when Tatum was getting pressured, the difference what we saw in game in this game was White wasn't making himself available as an outlet. And he's your best ball handler outside of Tatum. So realistically, you need him there. Um, you know, Marcus Smart would have came over, would have orchestrated somebody to set a back screen or something, and there would have been a pass made. Do I think that that's an excuse? No, I think that Tatum's a far better ball handler than that. I think he should, yeah. at this juncture in his career, he should be more than used to being pressured on ball. He should be more than used to being picked up high. Uh, and to me, it's kind of just getting a bit too comfortable. Let me ask you a question there. And I, I want to, you know, and I agree with your point about, you know, having that that outlet. But, you know, like you said, it's, it's not an excuse because I feel like and I want to get your thoughts on what possibly happened to Jason Tatum in that third quarter because he was awesome in that first half. Yeah, he was, yeah he was, it was it, it's really, you know, I hate to be super cliche, a tale of two halves, but he was unbelievable in that in that first half. And it was like, OK, if this is Jason Tatum we're getting that's coming out with 21 points, super efficient. Also, you know, filling up that sheet rebounds assist wise, like if we get even close to a replicate of this performance, like even without our guys, this should be a win. This is a game that, that we can go ahead and take. And then that third quarter is maybe one of the worst, you know, quarters I've seen Jason Tatum play in I don't know how long. And, yeah. and you know, he had six turnovers, which is, a, you know, insane to think about. But it's also the manner in which they happened. And they were very, you know, maybe he just was exhausted because they were very sloppy, very lazy. You know, he's getting his pocket picked by Oladipo, just dribbling the ball up at half court. He I had that, that one. Yeah, and then he had the one where he, uh, you know, threw that little bounce pass to to Rob Williams to try and initiate the offense when very clearly Jimmy Butler was was hanging on that backside pocket, ready to go ahead and pick that. So I'm curious to get your thoughts as to what you what the heck do you think happened in that third quarter because it was so on Jason Tatum like at least the Jason Tatum that we've seen over the you know this over this whole season. I wish I knew, man. I mean, did he run out of steam? Like, you know, he came out really hot. That's it. That's going to exert a bunch of um, a bunch of energy. Mm -hmm. the, like, you know, I'm just re I'm literally watching these turnovers as I'm talking right now, just to try and get a feel. I'm rewatching them as we speak. So the one I've just watched, he drove into the lane, got stripped. Obviously, he was trying to draw contact. Next one tries to swing it over to JB. Somebody jumps to passing lane. So then, uh, the next one I've got, Rob comes up to the high post. Just a lazy bounce pass to Rob gets stripped by Jimmy. There's just bad pass after bad pass, and it feels just lazy. It's lackluster. Then you've got that other depot pick at the halfway line. I think Hero got him down on the on the left side of the floor as well, bringing the ball up. Uh, which one have we got now? We've got Tatum. Toast comes and sets a step up screen. He just runs into Deadman and then loses the ball. Yeah. It's 
and then you get that chase down block by Neesmith, who I definitely want to touch on as well. Yeah. It was just lazy. Like, it, it, it wasn't laziness, but that's how it comes across, right? Like, Exactly. And, and that's why I'm curious because I don't it? think it's just like him just being like, oh, I don't care. It's game one of the Eastern yeah, Conference I'd, Finals. I'd, I'd, you know? I'd never accuse a player of that, especially one that we've seen care so much yeah. like we have with Tatum. But so I wouldn't say he was being lazy, but there was definitely maybe fatigue setting you know you you play a big game seven you were you led the team in game six you get 24 hours rest in which time you're traveling to miami you know what i mean then you mm-hmm. come out you come out hot and then all of a sudden your legs get heavy because you've sat yeah. down you've had that adrenaline dump have you ever had an adrenaline dump uh probably at some point you know Where, every like, once in a while every once in a while i'll get the adrenaline going and then yeah <laughs> like if drop. you have like a massive adrenaline flow and then all of a sudden it just stops and that adrenaline drop dumps you are so lethargic everything feels so much heavier than what it is and it's really hard to to get that back so you know maybe he just didn't go back to the exercise and we we, we talked about this on the three-man weave right after the after game seven that this was likely a possibility and i think you know the way that, that that game one first half went maybe disillusioned us a little bit that we were like oh hey maybe we're not gonna have that letdown where you know the the legs just give out after a grueling seven game series but you know we we talked about it we've heard jason tatum say you know last time we played miami in the bubble part of what caught up to them was was just how grueling it was to play that raptor series so coming off that seven game series i think if this had happened you know uh, right away, maybe it changes the the expectations of the game. But I think the first half maybe lulled us into a little bit of disillusionment that there wasn't going to be that fatigue coming off the last series. But then, you know, when you really think about it, it makes more sense that you'd come out that adrenaline as you're talking about, you know, get you over the hump to start the game. And then once you have to kind of sit down at halftime, regroup, maybe it just kind of hits you a little bit more. And I think that's, you know, I think that's the only thing we can really chalk this up to because other than that, it's really hard to explain. And then his partner in crime, Jalen Brown, wasn't, you know, didn't have as many turnovers, still had two in that that same quarter, but went 0-4 from the field. And really, besides a couple of late threes, didn't feel all that impactful throughout the no. game. So he got so many points, if I'm honest, at the end of the game. It, it, I mean, some of it was, was some garbage points at the end, and I don't yeah. know what the heck's going on with his free throws. My God, man, he was he was 2-4 in this, in this quarter. But, you know, overall, I think he was like 6 of 10. And it's, I don't know, it's becoming very concerning about Jalen Brown at the free throw line. Do you know what this struck out to me? And this is a discussion for the offseason, uh, mm-hmm. but I'm going to point it out. This told me that the Celtics need one more wing that can handle the rock yeah. off the bench. They need, because, you know, you're playing these guys, they're, they're really struggling for, for impact. They're tired. You can see that they're lethargic. It's not working yet. Tatum plays the entire quarter. Brown plays pretty much 11 minutes of the quarter. And I get you shorthanded, but nobody that, that Horford's not going to be playing on the wing. You know, you mm-hmm. could boost smart up there, but it's not really ideal. So to me, that tells me you do need one more guy that you can trust. You know what I mean? And I've got names that I'll discuss during the off season. I'm not yeah. going to turn well, that well, into yeah, this Now's not the time, but yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, but I'm but, with you. There's another wing that, that if you had to think of what's the thing, throughout this postseason run that the Celtics could use. It's probably, it's one more wing. I think we kind of knew that going yeah, into it. we knew that going in. But this quarter, this specific quarter has been the biggest highlight for me. Like the biggest like red flag, like red mm-hmm. alarm. We need another wing, do you know what I mean? Like, you know, you're without, you're without Horford. It's okay. Ty steps in because you resolve that issue. 
<clears throat> excuse me, you're without smart white steps in because that issue is resolved. Mm-hmm. You do need one more guy that can play the three and the four that yeah. can handle the ruck a little bit because let's face it. And I'm going to, I've been steadfast on this for a long time at this point. You can't ask Jalen Brown to be a playmaker. So when you're, when you don't have Marcus smart, that, that has to fall heavier on Tatum's shoulders because mm-hmm. you know, and this one quarter just happened to be arguably his worst playmaking quarter of 2022. So before we move on from the third quarter, I have one other thing that I, I want to ask you, and, and I don't know if there's there's a definitive answer, so this is more I'm, I'm asking you to theorize kind of on the spot here. So looking back to the, the playoffs in the bubble and then last season, the third quarter was a big trouble spot, a big Achilles heel for the Celtics. They were, they were very poor in that department. This year, they've turned that around, at least in the regular season. They were the best third quarter team in all of basketball with via net rating. They're the, they were the best third quarter basketball third quarter team in basketball in the buck series it kind of reared its head again where up until the last last two games they they reversed course on it but the third quarter was was something that the bucks were dominating during the first portion of that seven game series like i said the celtics kind of reversed that course in the last two games in game six and seven but leading up to that it had become a problem again and then last night you see you know this is what we're talking about this is what we're leading with is the ugliest quarter that we've seen in a long time from this team and I'm curious if you have any thoughts as to what happens with this team in the third quarter. Is this something that you chalk up to? And maybe this leads into our next topic, you know, talking about, you know, adjustments, the coaching matchup in this game. Like, what, what do you think it is with, you know, with the third quarter in the Celtics? Man, I wish I knew because if you recall, like, the big narrative last season and, you know, even heading into the bubble, like going far as far back as the bubble, the narrative was, oh, they're coming out slow they're warming up midway through the first staying hot through the second going into the locker room coming out flat and everybody was saying that that brad stevens voice wasn't carrying Mm -hmm. anymore and those third quarter struggles were very heavily levied towards stevens now obviously udoka is not stevens udoka has done a fantastic job this year there is almost no chance that his voice isn't still carrying weight this early in his career as the head coach so was like we can't use that excuse now. So what excuse is that really? Like, are you coming out tired? Like, you know, maybe these guys are seizing up a little bit. Maybe, you know, sitting down after being so hot, like running and, yeah. and then your muscles start to like contract and then you come out and you've got to do it again. Maybe they need to be doing something to keep, keep loose. I don't know. We don't know what's going on once yeah. they go back there. Like this is all conjecture. Outside of that, I think sometimes they drink their own Kool-Aid. Mm-hmm. If I'm being quite, because you don't see like when their backs against the wall. You just said, you know, the last few games of that Milwaukee series, they came out and they dominated in the third. Yeah. When their backs are against the wall, we don't really see quarters like this. It tends to be when they go in after pl- outplaying teams, after having a lead, like you know, a multiple possession lead. That's when they come out slow, like they're trying to feel their way through, like mm-hmm. a game of chess. Right? Sometimes you'll start with the pawns and you'll let someone take a couple before you start throwing out the big guns. You throw out your rooks, your knights, and whatever. And sometimes I feel like that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to 
let guys kind of get a bit of ground before they take that momentum away, kind of knock the wind out of their sails. Uh, there's just no killer instinct there coming out of halftime. So there's definitely an adjustment that needs to be made, whether that's the way the coaches are trying to amp up their guys, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, whether they need to stay looser, whether it's minute management, maybe these guys are just, you know, beat up. But this was, in my opinion, since the turn of the calendar year, the worst quarter of basketball we've seen, or at oh. least right up there. Yeah, I don't think there's any question. I mean, it was it was abysmal. It was tough to watch. It was stunning to see. And then, I mean, you, at the end of the day, the Celtics won three out of the four quarters and lost the game by, you know, double digits. So, and it was that's, so that's, that's really well. hard to do. Because they got to a point, like, five minutes left in the quarter, and they, they, they looked like they were figuring it back out. Mm-hmm. Like, But the damage had been done, and then they looked like they were figuring it out for about one minute, 30 seconds. Then all well, of they, a sudden... They cut it to five and then just lost it again. Yep, and, the bottom fell out again. Like, it just completely fell out again. Like, and you're just asking yourself then, like, man, what's going on? And I get it. You know, what, three, six, eight guys played. Neesmith has barely played all season, never mind the playoffs. Mm-hmm. You know, Pritchard only played two minutes, 30 seconds. He's the guy that's going to open up that defense for you. I think he's been fantastic when he's been getting given opportunities recently. Pritchard has. I'd love um, to talk about him in a second here. I don't yeah, because they the bullied the life out of him, um, which is the downside to being Pritchard size you know I don't think Tice was very effective in this game at all I think they uh I think they dragged him out of position a bunch there was a possession early in the game where he um he switched with he switched with Derek White and uh, the possession I'm remembering Tice had PJ Tucker Derek White had I don't know let's just say Jimmy Butler for argument's sake I can't remember um because I'm doing this off the top of my dome there was a screen and both guys went towards Butler and left PJ Tucker to short roll. And then PJ Tucker got the ball on the short roll, swung it out, corner three. And I was just like, man, I went back and watched that possession three or four times because I was like, who's at fault here? Is it Derek White? Because Derek White should have switched and stayed with PJ. Mm-hmm. Was the scheme for Toys to hedge and then recover to give White time to get back onto Jimmy or whoever the ball handler was at the time, I'm assuming Jimmy. Or... Were they intending to send a double to Jimmy and it was nobody's fault and PJ just got open and no one rotated over from the bar, from like the baseline? Yeah. Whoever's fault it was doesn't matter. The point being is, to me, Tice was probably in the wrong there. I felt like it should have been a hedge because there was no contact on the screen. You don't switch no contact screens generally, you know? So it should have been a hedge or a show and then recover. And Tice just never recovered. And that to me really stood out as odd because that's not like Tice to be such a liability when defending a pick and roll. You know, he's a liability when you're asking him to rotate over quickly and try and defend the shot. He'll foul guys, but you know, the war on Tice is real. But I do think that he was one of, he was, that was one of his most ineffective games of the playoffs so far, in my opinion. Yeah. So, so I think with that, let's let's move from the ugly to the bad category, so that we can continue I we were on. In the ugly and the bad, I thought they'd bled into each other. <laughs> I mean, they do. So that's that's the thing. <laughs> it's just some are some are a little bit worse than the others, which is why I think we have to separate. You know, going into the game beat up, and then the third quarter, and now we're getting into the to the areas that were bad, but maybe can be improved. And maybe these were 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 some some blips on the radar. And you mentioned Daniel Tice, an area I want to talk about that, that kind of goes together here is Ime's coaching as well as the Peyton Pritchard, Derek White conundrum of last night. And so you, we talked about it. Like Peyton Pritchard, you know, didn't play a bad game, but they hunted him on, on the defensive side of the ball. 
Like that was their main goal. And they would, they would repeat it over and over until they got that switch. But he was more effective, obviously, than Derek White on the offensive end. And it's really interesting. You look, no Marcus Smart. Pritchard actually ends up playing more minutes than Derek White last night. Not by a lot. Basically 30 to 29 is what, what you're looking at as far as the split. But I'm curious to get your thoughts on on Ime's, you know, riding with Peyton Pritchard a bit more than Derek White, despite the defensive matchup, which is typically... When you think of Ime Adoka and, and what he is going to favor in one scenario, typically you're going to lean on that defense, which is a big reason that we didn't see Peyton Pritchard at different points early in the year. Now, obviously, Ime has grown a ton as a coach and has been far more malleable and adaptable in games and making adjustments. But I'm curious to get your thoughts on the Derek White versus Peyton Pritchard's minutes from last night. Yeah, I mean, this is where Marcus Smart's growth as an offensive threat comes into play for me personally. Because when Smart's out now, one player can't give you everything he gives you. Do you know what I'm saying? Like Derek White's going to give you a very good rendition of Marcus Smart level defense. It's not he's not as good, but it's your store brand versus the you know it's your store bought brand. But you're not getting the offense, so you have to find that offense elsewhere. And Pritchard, you know, he I think Pritchard's drastically improved in being able to score off the dribble, being able to penetrate and create his own shot. And he's obviously one of he's probably the best shooter on the team, not named Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown. So to play to to kind of lean heavily on both of these guys makes sense because you need to in order to replicate the offense and defense that Smart is going to give you. Now, for anyone that was like, you know, and I fell into this category earlier in Smart's career. That's like, man, Smart's a one-dimensional guy. He's going to give it you on defense, but no, that's not the case anymore, in my opinion. He gives you a lot offensively, whether it's the playmaking, whether it's the penetration, whether it's just making a timely free. He doesn't really jack up too many Ill, ill-advised shots anymore. We still get it from time to time, but it's not all. You know what I mean? And then you look at like. Derek White, you you lose so much offensively if Smart's out and you've got White there that you have to give another guard that that's more of a offensive-minded guy like Pritchard time, especially when you're chasing the game. Now, if, if they had built on their lead in the third, I don't think Pritchard plays near as many minutes. I mm-hmm. think White White's minutes go up, Pritchard's go down because you're trying to hold on to that lead yeah. rather than chase that lead. But that that's kind of my take on it, just like, you know, the, the this to me speaks to the improvements of Marcus Smart as an offensive player because now you need two guys to replicate what that one guy gives you. I don't know if you'd agree. No, I, I do very much agree. And you could tell Marcus Smart was obviously sorely missed in, in this regard. And I think an area that highlights this is um, it was, I believe it was about three and a half minutes left or so. The Celtics had got it down to 10. So you're still within striking distance at that time. And the Celtics had three timeouts left. And I got to credit our guy, Greg. He was the one that that really, you know, shined a light on this during our playback room last night. So there's about three and a half minutes left. There's a timeout you have a chance to do offense defense because you're going to lose that that third timeout, you know, once you get under the two minute mark anyways, right? So so you have an opportunity here. You need a stop. You absolutely have to have a stop here. And Ime still ran out there with the Pritchard, Tice, uh, Jays, and I'm trying to remember who who else was out there. Um either either way, Derek White was not on the floor. Grant Williams was not on the floor. You know, so he went with a a very unique lineup to to go and get a defensive stop. Miami gets a three, then you call a timeout, and that feels like an area where, to your point, you need to make up that Marcus Smart difference, and you probably need to have Derek White in there instead of Peyton Pritchard late in the game. Get your defensive stop, 
then you can call a timeout. Then you can bring in the offensive guy and Peyton Pritchard. Maybe you, you know, you drop a good ATO, you get a three pointer out of it. All of a sudden it's a seven point game with, you know, roughly three minutes left. And now you got something, you got a chance, yeah. right? You got a chance to get back and steal this game. Instead, they leave Pritchard in Miami gets a three. I can't remember who hit it. They go up 13. We still call the timeout. So it seemed like that was part of the plan, but yet you weren't doing the offense defense, very confusing, um, you know, a very confusing scenario by Ime Adoka, I thought, um, as well as I, I would say the lack of, of Grant down the stretch was a little confusing as well, because you would think that, you know, he would give you a little bit more defense. And then obviously he at least has an opportunity to get hot from three as you're trying to get back into the game. So that was confusing. So I, I thought a little bit of an up and down as we're, as we're still in somewhat, I don't know if I want to label it as bad, but a confusing game one from, from Ime Adoka in some, in some regards. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's tough, right? Because when you're when you're putting in Grant, you are adding in defense, you are adding in um three point shooting. But if you're trying to force transition opportunities, have being a little bit smaller makes sense, right? Like because you can play that a little bit faster, you can exploit matchups off the dribble a little bit more. And when you look at Miami, if you're trying to beat them in transition, you're going to want guys that can beat guys off the dribble because they're so long. They're so good at staying in front of you. Mm -hmm. You're going to need space creation. So I can see it from that standpoint, but I do agree. I think that, you know, leaning into Pritchard when it's clear he's being hunted so much is concerning. Now, I think Pritchard will grow. I think Pritchard is uh, a capable defender for his size, but there was times where I was really shocked they weren't scramming him out of things. Yeah, you know, just like or putting a second body to kind of rotate over behind him when he eventually gets bullied and beat. And there's something to be said about being able to hide a guy like that, even when they're a point of attack guy, being able to scram them out of there, being able to show secondary bodies once they get beat and being able to scheme to keep that guy as a viable piece in the rotation long term. It's not impossible, you know, if it was, then Isaiah Thomas wouldn't have had the run that he had. It, it's definitely possible, but I think that the, the odds were too far stacked against MA to be, to do anything effective in terms yeah. of hiding Pritchard. Like who, who, who have you got? Are you going to bring yeah. in Fitz? Are you going to bring in Morgan Cornette? Yeah. Like, who are you're you're super short here. That's why, that's why I hesitate to say it's a bad email. Like, he's super short handed, yeah, super short tight rotation and you know he, he to his credit you know he did reach into the bag and tried to pull out you know a little bit of Aaron Neesmith and I think you saw a little bit of good little bit I mean you saw the full Aaron Neesmith experience yeah being real you, you saw you saw the energy you saw the athleticism you saw the poor decision making with some of the fouls and you saw the inability to, to hit threes so you saw you know er everything that you kind of could have expected from Aaron Neesmith hoping that maybe you get you know uh one or two shots here but i mean that's that's the point where you know he had not had no other option he had no other cards no option. to play you know and like the thing with neesmith was like what impressed me was just his energy uplifted everybody around him for time for stretches do you know what i mean like chase down blocks he got a couple, he got three blocks dude he ended the game with three blocks he ended the game with more blocks than rob yeah you know what i mean like you know and i get it like his freeze aren't falling but i've said this for a while and I said this in a in the Celtics plug Slack. I said I would much rather see Neesmith be told not to shoot freeze for the remainder of this season. It's not there. I believe, in my opinion, I've always believed that you've been miscast. I've said this before. Mm -hmm. Do the JB roll. You're just an off ball finisher. Get the ball, attack the rim. You're athletic. You're strong and you're bouncy. Go to the rack. 
You know what I mean? And then on, de- on defense, all we want you to do is guard a weak side guy, rotate over and use that bounce and verticality and crash into dudes, live up to your nickname. If you get five fouls, so what? You're Aaron Neesmith. We'll worry about like teaching you when to jump and when not to jump in year three because it took Rob three or four years to learn when to jump and when not to jump. I think that a lot of people have kind of wrote him off not realizing this is year two, man. Look at where Grant Williams was in year two. You know what I mean? He was unplayable at times. So I think there's still a high upside there, but I think that defensively we're starting to see what he can give you in terms of energy, in terms of just verticality and sheer like craziness. <laughs> offensively i just think he's in the wrong role personally yeah i, I, I think but I, I, I think part of that asked. is and I, I don't think you're wrong about that but i think it's just you know right now that, that that's what this team needs right this team doesn't need a slasher that's that's part of the kind of they need a spacer like you talked about especially with miami like you need someone to give you some lanes yeah and and, and so it's you know it, whether or not he's he's miscast is is probably an issue for for another day just because of the immediacy of but how much what, space is it giving you dude like the dude's barely hit freeze all year guys are right just off him. Well, well that's why he doesn't play i mean he's only playing last yeah. night because we're down too i mean i mean this yeah. is the thing like this is this is kind of the point we're making of why it's, it's hard to be hard on ime for last night's performance because you know aaron neesmith you're doing what you can and you're hoping that the, whatever theoretical version that you need not even of who he might be or who he is it's just what you need in this moment and you're hoping you can get something something out of it and there was like i said there was some good and there was some bad and that's kind of been aaron neesmith this entire season you know and that's and that's part of the reason why Ime is very reluctant to play him is because you know i think he made that amazing block you know you think i mean he had three blocks but you think of the most amazing one on the break which i believe was on uh gabe vincent and then jimmy butler gets the ball and immediately yeah, and it, and it was just a really bad foul. Like, like Jimmy didn't barely gave it up fake, and Jimmy knew that Neesmith was going to go for it, and then just very easily goes into him, gets a gets the foul call, and you know it's it's things like that. And part of that's he, he hasn't played, so I'm not even necessarily blaming Aaron Neesmith. Last night was a tough bind for both him and Ime. They both had to kind of look at each other and say, like, "Hey, we're going to do our best here. The minutes you're in, just be you, be a Tasmanian Devil, be Crash." And then we'll we'll live with the results because we don't have any other options right now. Like Rob's just coming back from an injury. We're down Al. We're down Marcus. We gotta buy some minutes somewhere in here. And you're the only guy left that you know you can really trust to go out there and do that because you're not gonna put you know Malik Fitz, Luke Cornett, Jawan Morgan, or Nick Stauskas who have played even less than Aaron e. Smith with these guys. You're not gonna put them in in this scenario. So it, it was something that had to be done, and and they made the best out of it. And like I said, some good, some bad. I won't even say ugly. Just some good and some bad. No, that's some ugly too. Um, <laughs> I, no, but I, I do agree. I think that, again, this is a, another discussion for the off-season. But I think that filling the roster with these, like you're trying like trying to unearth a diamond in the rough, right? Mm-hmm. I think that having one of those guys, possibly two, is fine. But what we're seeing now is there's four or five roster spots with unplayable dudes. And the the... the the thing that makes a team like Miami such a threat is they'll have two or three guys that don't play, but when they co- but if they're called upon, they're super serviceable. You know what I mean? And yeah, I think like, that's the I, I mean, just, right now. just as an example, last night and and you know it looked like for a minute PJ Tucker was gonna be was gonna be injured, right? Like it wasn't. We yeah. weren't sure what his status. He came back and you know he he fought through it because that that dude's tough as hell. But like they've got you know Markeith Morris and Duncan Robinson are two guys that didn't play at all last night. And I'm not saying that they're, you know, going to swing a series, but, you know, 
if there are injuries to their wings or to one of their bigs, like that's 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 not the worst case scenario to have to go to Markeith Morris and Duncan Robinson. Whereas, you know, if our injuries were were more long term and we're seriously having to look at Luke Cornett or Malik Fitz or Jawan Morgan or Nick Stauskas, like those are two very, very different worlds to have to live in where you're bringing in guys like established guys like Markeith Morris and Duncan Robinson versus the list that I just gave you. Exactly. I mean, look. You've just gone Juwan Morgan, Fitz, Stauskas, Cornet, Neesmith. That's five roster spots. You know what I mean? Where I'm just like, oh man, that's a, that's a lot of dead talent, really. I mean, I'm quite high on Neesmith as a free, no, we're not even a free indeed, like a slashing kind of two indeed. Yeah, but we're, but we're talking in the moment, not long term. Yeah, we're just talking in the, in moment. the moment. And even right then, now. but even then, I don't think that happens in Boston. Do you know what I mean? I don't think he develops in a Celtics uniform. I think it's elsewhere. I think he'll have a good career. But what I'm saying is you've got no one to lean on. Yeah. And this is coming. And we haven't had to worry about that this far, thus far in the, in the playoffs really, because when one guy's gone down, there's been enough depth to cover for that. But Mm -hmm. once two guys have gone down, you're like, man, the depth is a little bit more concerning than I actually thought in the beginning of the yeah. season, like in the beginning of the playoffs. And you think about it, and it's like, man, if Smart comes back for game two, then you're only missing one guy. You can cover for him. I think that Smart changes a lot. Pritchard's minutes will be far more um, evenly spaced out to be effective. He'll probably be put on with, like, you know, Smart might share some minutes to kind of ease the load there or whatever. And then, you know, you just wait for Horford to come back at that point. So, and this is where I kind of wanted to end it on the good, just leave it on the high note. You Mark, might I you one, can I ask you one more question before we move on to, to the good part to wrap this up? Yes, so I have one more one more thing that I just think I want to I touch on because I'm curious to get your thoughts. So last night, especially in the second half, Jimmy Butler dominated, right? I, th- I think dominated is a, is, is a very fair word to use for, 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 what, for what he put up. And so I'm curious. So he goes 41, nine rebounds, five assists, four steals, 12 of 19, seven of 18 from the line, played good defense, doing his doing his typical Jimmy thing. What do you think is the response? And obviously we don't know the status of, of Marcus Smart now. Horford, that will play a role in this. What is the response to the way Jimmy Butler dominated last night? What do you think is the counter move to, you know, slowing down a guy who's having one of the, one of the best postseasons right now in the league? The same thing I put as the counter move to Giannis. Stop everyone else. That's always for when it when it's one star that's dominating. When it's one guy, my my go to is always limit everybody else because Jimmy can go score fifty, but if everybody else is locked down, then you're not scoring enough to win a game. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So I my most outlook has always been. And whether that's right or wrong, you know, I'm not saying that I'm right, but my outlook has always been you let the star that's, you know, you can know, you can't uh, just quote Jesus Shuttlesworth, you can't stop him. You might, you got to try and contain him. Well, let him go off, stop everybody else. And at that point, then, you know, no matter how good, how dominant Jimmy is, if Cole Lowry is not there to give you like an extra 20, 30 points, Mm-hmm. And Tyler Hero is coming off the bench. So, you know, him and Jimmy kind of interchange for impactful minutes. They do spend time together and then you have to kind of change your your outlook a little bit, obviously. But when Jimmy's like the main, the head is a snake, Bam's more of a two-point guy. He's not stretching the floor. Limit Jimmy. 
and for look, sorry, limit Bam and take away Bam, take away PJ Tucker, and make Jimmy do everything. Because one, he's going to get tired doing so, and two, even if he goes for fifty, he can't beat you unless you're letting another one or two guys go off as well. And that's always been my outlook when it's a one, like a one-star team. Like mm-hmm. teams can't do that with Tatum because then Brown will go off. It's a different you ha- it's a different type of defensive scenario there. Mm-hmm. And you know, against Milwaukee, the reason I said it was because there was no Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday is not that guy to yeah. be a consistent 30 point a night guy. So I was always of the belief just, just let Giannis do his thing, stop everybody else. And until Lowry is back, I know Tyler Hero is that guy. So when he's on the floor, you can't use this strategy. But while he's on the bench, let him, yeah. just let Jimmy go off, stop everybody else. Yeah, and Hero was big in the first half, a little bit quieter in the second half. But yeah, it's it, it's a really interesting, you know, scenario because I do think Jimmy's a bit of a different type of star. You know, he's he's it's it's, it's interesting because we're coming from playing Giannis and KD, and and Jimmy's just different. Like, I mean, all three of those guys are actually different the way that they approach, you know, their own. Jimmy's stardom. more Marcus Smart than he is Kevin Durant. I'm laughing because that's literally the comparison Greg used in our playback room. He's souped up, <laughs> he's a souped up version of of yeah. Marcus Smart, right? Like a slightly slightly more skilled, slightly bigger, you know, you know, version of 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 Marcus Smart. And so I wonder if you know if Marcus Smart's able to come back in Game Two, if maybe that's who we see as the as the primary defender. That's who I'd expect. Um, yeah, we, we speculated that maybe this is a matchup for for Tatum as well. But I think some combo of maybe Tatum and Smart, given the quickness, the size, uh, that might be something that that we look to. But I don't want to get out of here before we touch on uh, a little bit of the good. I know you had something that you were starting with, Adam, a moment ago. Yeah, so I'm going to keep this short and sweet because we're recording in the daytime and I've got a score run. Um, look, you're down two, you're starting five. You're playing Aaron Neesmith impactful minutes, you know. It, it's not looking good in terms of depth, in terms of health. Everyone's tired coming, you know, traveling on the day off and all this stuff. And you lose one quarter of basketball. You lose it badly. You lose it horrendously badly. But you lose one quarter of basketball. Yeah. You win three out of those four quarters. Some adjustments, a little bit of rest, some film, hopefully having Marcus Smart back. You come back in game two. I feel like you can do it. I feel like you can tie the series up, still one at home. Also, the Celtics lost game one against Milwaukee, but we're still here right now talking about the conference finals. Game one doesn't decide a series. For sure. An indicator of a series, especially when both teams are missing guys. So the good for me is that you won three or four quarters, man. You just don't, if you don't implode in the third, it's we're having a completely yeah. different conversation right if now. You have a bad third and not a grotesque third. Like it's a, it's a different story. It's a different you story. Know? Completely different story. So in my head, I still feel like you know I did. I never expected this to be a sweep. I said Celtics in six, yep. mainly because I don't think they could go to Miami and do it in a game seven, because we've just seen the value of home court advantage against Milwaukee. You know, so I think that you know six was a fair estimation, and I'm still standing by that Celtics in six. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think those are all great points. I'm, I Same thing, Celtics and six. We said they just got to get a split here. That's still, an, that's still on the table. Got to come out Thursday night and get it. Real quick for me, my positive, Rob Williams, he looked healthy. He looked like himself. Yeah. You know, the we'll see. I think it was just a cramp at the end of the game. But as long as that's good to go, he looked like himself. He was bouncy. You know, he you saw him get a couple of uh, offensive rebounds, get some putbacks. I can't remember if we got even a single one against the Milwaukee Bucks that entire time where you got Giannis and Brooke Lopez down there. So seeing Rob's activity, seeing him flying around, seeing him, 
you know, back on the court. I think you add in those other pieces that we were missing, and that can leave you at least feeling good because that was my biggest concern is that we were really going into last night with about six and a half guys, not knowing what what to expect out of Rob with two different leg injuries that he's kind of still working through. But I, I thought he looked like I thought he looked like himself. And I think that's a really important piece uh, for this team going forward, especially if you get back those other two starters. So for me, I, I still feel, I'm with you, Adam. I, it, it's not over. It's certainly not over. It's game one. It'd be ludicrous to say it's over. But, you know, I do think it's important to get a split here and not go home 0-2, even though that still doesn't mean the series is over, just to be clear. Even if they lose game two, the series is not going to be over because then I would fully expect Boston to come back and grab the two at home. But... You know, getting getting the second game, I do think will go a long way towards if it's really going to be a six game series, they got to get the second game. Yeah, um, you know, just to just to take the pressure off, to go home and know that you're tied up, that you can lose game three and it's not the end of the world. Whereas if you go home after dropping two away, then you have that pressure of, hey, we need to win the next two because otherwise we're going back to Miami and they could win. And not even the next two, four out of five. Like that, yeah. that in itself is a, is a big time pressure that you don't want to have. So I do think this is a pretty big game too. Hopefully we get some of our guys back for it, at least one, if not both of them. And uh, But either way, I, I think the Celtics can make some adjustments and just not have a complete collapse of a quarter. And they'll, they'll, they should be able to, to still grab a game here. Yeah, I'm very confident. And we will hear Ruffles again after game two. The same two dudes, myself, Mr. Will Weir at WillBomb13. Go check him out on the socials. Go check me out on the socials too because, you know, I try to be friendly. I try very hard to be friendly. Um, with that, if you enjoyed the show, please share on socials yourself. We do it as we do it too. Sometimes I take a day off from sharing because I just like to see what the numbers are like when I don't promote it. But um, for the most part, both of us promote it. But if you could do that for us too, that means a bunch, you know, just hit that, uh, just type up a quick tweet, paste the link, click send, drop it on Reddit, drop it in Facebook, drop it on Instagram, maybe in your stories, maybe as a post, who knows, you can get creative, we'll reshare, it means a lot to us that you do that, uh, with that, I'm going to go, because I need to go and collect my kid from school, and the traffic will be terrible, uh, and everybody have a great, great Wednesday, let's look forward to game two tomorrow, and then you'll hear off us on Friday, when we're talking about a big time win, peace, peace. Ain't disrespecting you haters, I ain't sweating your opinion Y'all been testing my patience, never did it for a check I've been impressed with the famous, just rather be creative Than stressing my wages, ageless Every time I lay a verse down, one play at a time Keep it moving like a first down And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this MJ never made it to the majors, still he chased greatness Expected that he might fail, and I might too I might never get to pop champagne, celebrating with